0: It looks like it's time to start. Good morning and welcome here. Um, we, it looked like I didn't know maybe what I was doing, running in and out here, but uh, uh, Mark uh, Elias phoned. They have ice there, so they're not coming in. So we quickly made a few arrangements for filling in their spots this morning. So why don't we turn uh, to our song sheets. Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let's sing together. We're going to sing, come let us all unite to sing.
1: Thank you, what a way to start. God is love, hallelujah. So good morning. So a hearty welcome to all of you. We are glad that uh, you have joined us and it looked a bit like this morning we might not be able to come um, unless we put on our skates. I, I'm glad uh, you know, we are blessed that we are, can worship and be together uh, in freedom. And um, we're also blessed that we're able to um, watch this on YouTube if we're not able to come, or on a CD later. There's many that do that, and I uh, wish for them to be blessed as well as we worship together. We, or I, was blessed this last week A couple of times in the last two weeks um, and encouraged. And I'd like to share about those times. I turned on the radio and Charles Stanley asked the question Can God use you? And he said, If you're not sure, let's see who it was that God used. He used Adam and Eve, who disobeyed him, He used Noah who was drunk. He used Abram, who ran out of patience. He used Moses, who replied, I can't do it. He used Esther, who was afraid. He used David, an adulterer and a murderer. He used um, Peter, who denied him. He used Thomas, who doubted him. He used Saul, who murdered his followers. And he used Jonah, who refused and went in the opposite direction. So I am in, I'm encouraged. And, and the second encouragement was the director for The Chosen was interviewed. And um, when he had been anxious about whether the film would do well, his mentor said to him, Remember, your job is to bring the five loaves and two fishes. It's my job to feed the 5,000. So, yes, He is more than able to use me. I have to bring what I have, so I am very grateful. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gift of this day, and Father, thank you for believing in us. You only require all of what we have, and you provide the rest. Help us, Father, not to walk away as the rich young ruler did. Give us joy to go and make disciples as you you have asked of us. I pray all of this in your precious holy name. Amen.
0: Be thou my vision. Be thou my vision. Let's sing together. Ages. Why don't we stand and sing this one? Rock of Ages.
1: Um, take a look at our bulletins. Um, I've one thing t- to add that's not in the bulletin, Pastor Dean and Cheryl are at a family life retreat in Winnipeg. Um, they're to enjoy their time together, but Pastor Dean is also checking out whether we could host one here in Winkler. Um, this one's led by Power to Change, the, the ministry that Preston Wheeler works with. Actually, Preston Wheeler hosted Family Life Conferences here, and that's how he connected with Power to Change, and that's how he ended up there. So, we'll wait and see what may come of this. So, let's take a note here. The, uh, the Ladies' Sunday School is starting today, right? Yeah, Hel- Helen is leading it. Okay, that... And, um the other thing, note all the you know the various Bible studies, the opportunity to um, uh, study in Hebrews, and the various discovery groups. Um, let's uh, attend as we're able. Our missionaries of the week are K and K, And um, we also want to remember the Winkler Bible camp. Um, an expression of sympathy, uh, Gertrude uh, or Trudy, as we know her, Brown passed away on October 28th. Um, She is the wife to uh, Ed Brown, the brother-in-law to Bill and Jane Brown, the sister-in-law to Margaret Brown, and family, and let's hold them up in our prayers as they they mourn her passing and rejoice where she was able to go to. So we have other people um, that are in various places. Prairie View Lodge, Isilda Hamm, Swan Lake Hospital, Mary Duick and John Suderman, in the Manitou Care Home, Abe uh, Abe Friesen. Let's remember them in prayer as well and give them the patience as they wait to come and move to the next, the next place. Christmas is here again, so Operation Christmas Child, the shoeboxes, we have them in our foyer. Um, take one home and uh, fill it up. I think there's a list in there that tells you what they would like to see in the boxes. Um, I think we've done very well in the past, so let's see if we can fill a number of boxes again. Our quarterly membership meeting is being planned for November 28th, so we'll make that evening available. We've got a church potluck coming up, and, um, and then there's a fundraiser for adult, teen, and Teen, Adult and teens Challenge on November 6th. Let's take a a, a time here and let's pray through and and ask for God's um, blessing on these various activities. Father, we thank you for the work that we're able to do through your help. Uh, Father, we thank you that um, we can have the prayer times together, uh, the study times together, the times when we can meet as as various groups and support each other. And um, Father, be with uh, Pastor Victor and Eileen as they meet with the youth uh, in their home. Father, also be be with uh, Pastor Dean and Cheryl and, you know, uh, help him um, to, to determine, discern whether this is something that we could host as a church, or we could bring to this community and uh, together as churches ha- host um, a marriage, life, family life weekend. Father, we pray, we praise you and thank you for Winkler Bible Camp and for the influence they have had on so many, so many youth over the years and again this year. And Father, as they are preparing for next year, uh, give them wisdom, give them energy, and uh, Father also. Uh, bring them the workers that they need. Father, we thank you for Trudy and for the life that she, she led. We um, we ask for um, your hand of comfort, the peace that passes all under, understanding for Ed and and for the family members as they as they mourn and as they rejoice together. Father, we um, hold up Hilda Ham, Mary Duick, John Suderman, and Abe A. Friesen as they um, finish their, their last uh, part of their journey here, um, give them peace and, and, and joy as they, they, they go about each day. Father, you have blessed the Christmas child shoeboxes over the years, and many, many have been blessed through them. That's a way of connection, connecting to um, a world out there that doesn't know uh, this kind of love, and that, Father, that this connection may ask them to, or get them to ask, why would why would someone do this for me? Why would somebody give me a gift? And uh, Father, that we might have that answer for the hope that we have. Father, we're looking for uh, some two people that uh, for education and one person for worship. Um, if you have chosen someone here, Father, may we may we respond? May we be open to doing, um, you know, giving, offering our gifts for this type of work that is needed in our church community here, for the Sunday school class, the ladies' class, and the men's class. Father, uh, bless that time together, uh, time of learning and growing. And Father, we pray for uh, discernment. Uh, for the quarterly membership meeting, uh, you know, uh, walk with the leadership as they are planning it, and and prepare us as we come to it. Father, we thank you for all of this that you are doing through your people, and I pray that you bless it. And Father, as we now give of some of the resources um, that that we have, take it, use it multiply it. I pray all this in your name. Amen.
2: Today's scripture reading is from Matthew 24, verses 1 to 14. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call attention, his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked. I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. "'Tell us,' they said, "'when will this happen, "'and what will be the sign of your coming "'and of the end of the age?' "'Jesus answered, "'Watch out that no one deceives you, "'for many will come in my name, "'claiming I am the Christ, "'and will deceive many. "'You will hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved." And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come.
0: From time to time, we like to... uh, us preachers like to address what is current in the world and what our thoughts are about those things. And so, I... uh, and I, I myself heard a message on this recently was, and was inspired to, to take it up and have a look at what's happening. I've entitled this message, What Will Be the Sign of His Coming? <clears throat> and for the last month, there has been war in the Middle East, specifically in Israel. The Israeli defense forces are pressing hard against Hamas, the terrorist Uh, governing party in the Gaza Strip. And Israel is responding to the brutal attack on October 7 that took 1,400 Israeli lives and over 200 hostages. Every kind of brutality that you can think of was carried out on Israeli citizens. I don't know if you're the kind of person that uh, takes an interest in Middle East conflicts, but It always seems to generate interest around the world. And oddly enough, the conflict in Israel seems to engage a lot more political jurisdictions in the world than any other conflict. Iran supports Hamas. The United States supports Israel. Hezbollah, another militant Islamic group out of Lebanon, thought they would volley a few missiles into Israel. And then the Yemenis uh, also fired on Israel, and curiously, the Saudis intercepted those. Plus, there are statements made by over 170 countries about the situation in the Middle East. Somehow, conflicts with Israel draw immediate international attention and invite intense scrutiny from the whole world. There's also particular interest in the Christian community when it comes to Israel. The name is meaningful to us because the history of ancient Israel is part of our spiritual history. We begin to wonder if the things that are taking place today fall into the category of events foretold. Are prophecies being fulfilled? Do any of the things that are taking place look like end time events? And if they are, what does that mean for us? Do we need to figure out what's next? War in the Middle East also seems to breathe life into would-be prophets who confidently state their prophecies about Jesus' return, only to see those dates come and go without incident. It boggles the mind, actually, that any serious follower of Jesus would try to nail down a date when Jesus himself said, Concerning that day and hour no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Rather than speculate about dates, and what what Jesus does is encourage Uh, What Jesus does is encourage us to learn to discern the times. Once when the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test Jesus, they asked for a sign from heaven. And he answered them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. On another occasion, Jesus said, for as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the son of man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. In other words, if the signs are all there, the event will happen. Not surprisingly, people have been attempting to read and discern the times ever since Jesus' ascension into heaven when the angels said to the disciples, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It's not hard to imagine how the Israel-Hamas conflict could spiral out of control And involve a great deal of the world. But what does Jesus actually have to say about the time of the end? In Matthew 24 we find Jesus explaining the signs of his coming to his disciples. The first interesting thing to note is that it was Jesus who moved the conversation in that direction. He must have wanted to say something about the end to his disciples. It reminds me of an occasion in Genesis where we get a glimpse into God's private thoughts just before he brought judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And in Genesis 18 at verse 17, we read this, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? So because of their relationship, God told Abraham what he was about to do. And if you ever take the time to notice, you will see that God tells his servants what he will do before he does it. It happens throughout the prophets. That's what the prophets are all about. The scene we're going to look at took place right after Jesus confronted the hypocrisy of the scribes and Pharisees at the temple in front of all the people. So if you remember uh, in that last week after he arrived in in Jerusalem and near the end of that week, he confronted the scribes and the Pharisees and he let them have it. He spared no words in telling them where they stood before God. Right after that, uh, Jesus has a private moment where he laments over Jerusalem and then He leaves the temple grounds. And as he was going, the disciples came to him to point out the buildings of the temple. And it's likely that being up in the north in Galilee, they didn't get to see Jerusalem very often. And so they were in awe of the temple and its structures. Well, Jesus used that moment to foretell a great calamity. You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. That, of course, got them thinking. And by the time they got across the valley to the Mount of Olives, the disciples asked Jesus, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? Then Jesus told them what he wanted them to know. And I believe it is also what he wants us to know. It strikes me every time I read this passage, the first thing Jesus said was, see to it that no one leads you astray. <clears throat> one powerful lie that has totally infiltrated the mind of this age is that truth is relative. In other words, it can change. It can be different for you than for me. And look at the result of this lie. If I can have my truth and you can have your truth, then who's to say that anyone is lying? So people can lie and mislead others seemingly without consequence. And now our society is filled with all kinds of deception. For people like us who generally want to be trusting people, It gets a little difficult to accept most things as true. I'm talking about information that comes to us uh, from the world through a large assortment of news outlets and social media, whatever. But it is not restricted to those. Jesus is concerned that we are not led astray spiritually by false teaching and false teachers. Listen to what he says for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will lead many astray. I don't think we're quite there yet where false Christs are presenting themselves. There may be the odd one here and there, but it is sure to come as deception ramps up and as people contend for power to lead and control others. The second sign that Jesus gave is this. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Well, that sign has been with us for quite a while. When have there not been wars and rumors of wars? My expectation is that this will only increase as the day of the Lord draws near, because the nearing of that day is likened to a woman in labor. The contractions become more frequent and more intense until the child is born. At the present, it doesn't seem too intense. But with the current conflict in Israel, who knows what will happen? Together with this second sign is an encouragement. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place but the end is not yet. There's no need for us to get too excited about this because we are to expect it. It will happen. Don't let it throw you off. Jesus is telling us what will happen before it happens so that we don't become alarmed, just like God did with Abraham. And then he adds, but the end is not yet. So we will see these things, but that is not all there is to the signs, there are more. Jesus continues, there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. You might remember in the 80s and 90s, uh, World Vision had effective TV commercials asking people to give toward famine relief, Uh, in Africa specifically. And on, on the screen, of course, they could show the effects of the famine. It was very effective. So here again, uh, famine has been with us in this world for a long time. It's in this place, and then it's another place. But as the day of the Lord approaches, I think we can expect to see more widespread famines. Some are even predicting that, the world, that a world famine is around the corner. <clears throat> And then there are earthquakes. This is a phenomenon that has been around also for a very long time. But our ability to detect and measure earthquakes has also ramped up considerably. I have this earthquake app on my computer that reports all detected earthquakes. And on Friday evening, as I was sitting and preparing, It showed that there were 170 earthquakes that day already. (laughs) And uh, six happened while I was studying. So there are a lot of earthquakes happening in the world on a daily basis, but most of them are minor. I did find a timeline, however, that plotted all significant earthquakes over the last 4,000 years up to 2017. Not quite sure how they do that, but <laughs> they presented it. Is it true? Uh, I'll just tell you what I found. By significant, so this is a, this is a this was a time scale that just plotted significant earthquakes, and by significant they mean a quake that has either caused human death, more than a million dollars damage, or uh, or attained a Richter scale reading of 7.5 or more. Now there's not much seismic activity in the world until after Jesus' resurrection. That's when activity seems to pick up. So you might have one or two significant earthquakes in a year, but certainly not every year. Then in the year 344 AD, for the first time, we see three significant earthquakes in one year. And by the year 856, there are four in a year. Not every year, but that year. And again, there aren't significant earthquakes happening all, every year, just here and there. But in 1481, we hit five in one year for the first time. And... Since that time, there are significant earthquakes happening in most years. Well, since 1808, significant earthquakes have been happening every year. And they just have been increasing until 2004. 2004 and 2008 were banner years for earthquake activity. 04 saw 78 significant earthquakes and in 08, there were 77. It's trailed off a little bit since then, but the general trajectory of that, of that graph goes, goes like this. <clears throat> so we will, according to that, we'll see more. So Jesus has given us four signs of his coming, deception through false Christs, war, famine, and earthquakes. And then he says, all these are but the beginning of birth pains." Okay, so that's just the pregame show. There's more to come. And after this, it gets personal. Jesus said, then they will deliver you up to to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. This is the part we're not particularly excited about. And what we will notice is what this kind of persecution does to people who are not strong in faith. Jesus said, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. So who is he talking about? Who is it that will fall away? unbelieving people are already away. This is talking about those who call themselves Christian. Many will fall away, and as they do this, they will betray and hate others who call themselves Christian. We probably don't like to think about it, but the COVID restrictions brought us right there. We nearly became willing to betray friends and neighbors to the authorities because it, it was suggested that we should report people who were not obeying government edicts. If we, don't guard against, if we don't guard against being led astray, then we're going to turn on each other. So we need to stay in the word. We need to keep talking with each other about the word, and we need to um, continue in prayer so that we do not get led astray. Look how the homosexual issue has divided the church. Because of the increase of false prophets and the failure to guard against their influence, deceptive teaching crept into the church, and many were led astray. The church will not recover from that. And if there were laws against being unsupportive of homosexual unions, do you not think that we would be reported by those who were led astray? We will be. We will be betrayed and hated by people who call themselves Christian, people we know. The next line follows quite logically. Verse 12 says, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. It's not hard to imagine the lawlessness that ensues when people start betraying and hating each other. What do we think? Would betrayal and hatred produce an orderly society or a lawless one? Lawless, it would seem. And with that, love grows cold. It is not possible to be a betrayer and a hater and retain love. Matthew twenty uh, six twenty four says, No one can serve two masters. You cannot betray the gospel of God and love God's church. That does not work. So Jesus has deliberately made known to us the signs of his coming. And we can see evidence of all these signs. So why isn't he here yet? Well, because we're not quite there yet. Second Thessalonians chapter two adds a little more insight to the signs of Jesus' return. And I'll read from verse one. Second Thessalonians, chapter two, verse one. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you brothers not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or by a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So here's something to think about. Where is the temple of God? Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And in the same letter, 1 Corinthians 6.19, he writes, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? On the day Jesus was crucified, God shook the earth, tore the curtain to the Holy of Holies, and he vacated that stone temple. That temple had fulfilled its purpose. It was a foreshadow of God dwelling with his people. From that moment on, God's temple became the body of the believing person. So when the scripture says that the son of destruction takes his seat in the temple of God, where is he? Is it possible that this lawless one will take his seat in the heart and mind of every believer who has been led astray? not in the way that the Holy Spirit does, but by deceived hearts devoting themselves to false teaching and deceitful spirits. Paul continues, do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. This passage clarifies a few things that we learn from the Matthew 24 passage. Number one, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him will not happen unless the rebellion comes first. And this is not a rebellion of the world against God. The world does that all the time. It's more like a rebellion that took place in heaven when Satan and his angels set themselves against God. The rebellion is a rebellion of those who know God, those who have believed in him. How is this possible? Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. That is the rebellion. And signs of that rebellion are clear already as churches and church conferences around the world are parting ways over false teachings about the practice of homosexuality. While many pursue false interpretations of scripture, some hold to the orthodox understanding of biblical truth as it has stood for 2,000 years. The second clarification from 2 Thessalonians is that the man of lawlessness will not be revealed until the coming of our Lord, or not before. As we stay alert to the signs of the times and as persecutions and tribulations increase, and we begin to feel like maybe God has forgotten us, we have assurance here that Jesus has not yet come and that he has not left us behind. The third clarification from Thessalonians is that Jesus is the one who is restraining the man of lawlessness until the right time when he will be revealed. It's all in his hands. And the fourth clarification is that Jesus will kill him when he returns. When we look at all this, it does seem a bit daunting. But if we imagine it in terms that Jesus used to describe it, I think then we can see our way through. Jesus said, all these are but the beginning of birth pains. We all know that giving birth begins with small contractions and a little pain. Both the the contractions and the pain increase in frequency and intensity until the child is born. There is no stopping this process once it begins. There's no halting. But when the child is finally delivered, there is peace, there is rest, and there is new life. One thing we know, and that is that the time of suffering is limited. In, one of the, uh, in, in the letter to the churches in Revelation, there's one line that says, you will suffer for 10 days. So Jesus knows what we can endure. He knows Uh, that it needs to be limited for the sake of his saints. So now let's go back to Matthew 24 and see what Jesus said after giving us those signs. He said, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world, the whole world, as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So, we actually have another sign. Just a few days ago, Pastor Dean and I listened to Paul Meisner, who came out from Winnipeg as a representative of Wycliffe Bible Translators. And he came out just to encourage us. But he told us a little bit about what was happening. In 1999, there were about 3,000 languages left in the world that had been identified that did not yet have a word of scripture, 3,000 languages. And in 1999, Wycliffe Bible translators adopted a vision to start translation of the remaining 3,000 languages by 2025. It was a daring goal to set, since until then, they were only averaging about 30 new translations Uh, translation projects per year. So at that pace, it would be 100 years, right? Well, prayer and hard work began paying off and the Lord heard and answered those prayers. And it's his program anyway. From 1999 to 2003, in those four years, an average of 64 projects were begun each year. That's more than double. In 04, 82 translation projects were started and the pace has continued to accelerate. Fast forward to 2019. From May, 2019 to May, 2021, a new language was engaged every five days. (laughs) From May, 2021 to May, 2023, A new language was engaged every 30 hours. And today, it's one new language translation project started every 17 hours. Wow, that brings it up pretty close, doesn't it? Clearly, Wycliffe is not doing this on their own. God is the one opening up the opportunities, clearing the path and raising up workers. Wycliffe also works together with other Christian organizations around the world to get the word of God into every language on earth. This is hugely encouraging because the end will not come until the gospel of the kingdom is proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all nations. What are we to do in the meantime? We can certainly give to the ministries involved in making the gospel known. That would be a good thing to do. But we are encouraged to endure to the end. That's what Jesus says, endure to the end. Endure in right thinking by reading and meditating on the scriptures so that we will not be led astray and that we will be able to discern false teachings and false teachers. To endure in prayer, as we pray for those who do not yet know Jesus. You all know them. And to pray for the advancement of the gospel to all nations. And finally, to endure in living out our faith in Jesus Christ and introducing people to him as we go. Do not stop doing these things, persist in them, and let's be partners in hastening the day of Jesus' return. Consider for yourself, what can I do to further the advancement of the gospel? Would you pray with me? Our Father in Heaven, we're so thankful that Jesus told us what is going to happen before it happens. Because as we see these things begin to take place or continuing to take place, we have the encouragement of knowing that they will take place and that they must take place before the end, before you come, before you take us home. And so, Father, it gives us courage when we see uh, we see all these signs continuing and advancing and seemingly indicating more and more that your return is closer, not the least of which is the advancement of the gospel according to the information we got from Wycliffe. And so, Father, I pray for us as a people that you would help us to endure. That you would help us to endure in knowing you through your word and through your spirit. To be in reading your word and to be in prayer. And to also pray for the advancement of the gospel and the salvation of lost souls. And then Father, as we go, help us to do it. Help us to actually do it. We often think about it, but we don't always do it. And I'm as guilty as anyone. So Father, help us with that. We need courage. Help us to step out in faith and be part of advancing the kingdom. Hallowed be your name. Amen. The last song is, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Would you stand and let's sing together. this uh, benediction. Beloved, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and and to the day of eternity. Amen.